Hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, the very end of the chapter, still on page 812 for the last time in those Bibles in the chairs. Matthew chapter 7. Today's passage, Matthew 7, verses 24 and following, inspired a pretty beloved children's song that perhaps you have heard of. But this passage is a record of an actual moment in history where Jesus of Nazareth said something that astonished adults wasn't exactly a children's moment, though it is certainly good for kids to sing songs about what Jesus said. Jesus in this passage was actually being really confrontational. Imagine being in a conversation with a Christian that you regard as wise, someone worthy of your time. The conversation has been going well. That person has been inspiring and thought-provoking, even though some of what they have said has been a little bit of tough love for you, but you've received it well overall. They've given you a lot to think about. But then, as they're wrapping up their conversation with you, they say to you, now this has been a good talk, but I want to make something crystal clear. If you don't do absolutely everything that I have said, you are a fool. How would you feel if a person you were talking to said something like that to you. Some of us have been Christians for many years, and I'm afraid that that reality can sometimes lead to us being a little bit numb to the startling and radical nature of Jesus and his ministry. Some guy, to the people around him, from a podunk town that everyone makes fun of is just flatly and frankly telling everyone that they have to listen to him or be a fool to do what he says or go to hell. What Jesus is saying in this passage is far more weighty than kids' songs that we know and love and what they communicate. He is saying in this passage, certainly, that the wise man builds his house upon the rock and the foolish man builds his house upon the sand and the raids come down and the floods come up and depending on your foundation, your house is either going to crumble or stand. But the exact foundation that Jesus is talking about doesn't come across in that song. Here's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, verses 24 and following. He's saying, to hear Jesus' words and do them makes you wise. To hear his words but not do them makes you a fool. These words at the end of chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount come right after the hard and harrowing words from Jesus regarding the two confessions that we spoke of last time. The confession of the many hypocrites who say they were his followers but weren't, and then his confession that he never knew them. And this passage before us today is the final in these four illustrations that Jesus concludes with to point to one thing. People must respond to who he is and what he has said. What Jesus is saying is, what I'm calling for in my followers isn't popular. 
What I'm calling for isn't going to score you points with the religious elite. What I'm calling for is going to lead to persecution sometimes from the world. But if you don't go the way that I am calling you, you're headed for eternal destruction. So what Jesus has been doing in these last several passages, and certainly here in the last section of his great sermon, is giving an ultimatum. He has said what he intended to say, and now the proverbial ball is in the court of the people listening, in a sense. We know that Jesus is sovereign over the hearts of the people to whom he's speaking. I'm not saying that it's just totally up to them as if he has nothing to do with it. No, of course. But at the same time, people are responsible for their response, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's calling for a response. And in this fourth and final illustration, Jesus' brilliance as a teacher is on display once again. I want to read verses 24 through 27 again. Listen to these final words of Jesus in his sermon. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This illustration that Jesus uses of a building's foundation is a timeless one. In the culture in which Jesus originally spoke these words, it was a brilliant illustration. Palestine is an area frequently, that frequently suffers from flash rainstorms and sees the quick transformation of a dry landscape to torrential floods. And so when Jesus spoke of floods and rains and winds wreaking havoc on a house's foundation, this was not an abstract concept to those standing and sitting and listening to him. This was a reality that they were familiar with in their time and place. And it's also a reality that we're familiar with, too. Have you ever had water in your basement? We've actually had water in this building, too. We know just as well as they did about the importance of a solid foundation in the time of rain or storm. And so Jesus is a brilliant teacher, and he's using this really timeless and relatable illustration to point to two very confrontational facts about responses to him and his teaching. Here's the first one. Acting according to Jesus' words is wise. Acting. He said it three times in three ways before, that people must respond to his words with obedience and by following him. And so over and over again, in these final paragraphs of Jesus' sermon, he's communicating this truth. And I'm going to say it multiple times this morning. You have a simple choice if you're a hearer and listener of Jesus. You listen and ignore like a fool, or you hear and act in wisdom. And to not act is to ignore Jesus has been saying this over and over again, and he's saying it finally here with this illustration. The ones who do act according to his words, verse 24, those who do act, who do not ignore him, are wise. Because there's nothing more foundational 
than having Jesus as your foundation. You know, the Bible actually uses the image of a solid foundation to describe Jesus multiple times. Look at Ephesians 2, 19 through 21 on the screens in front of you. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being its cornerstone, in whom, Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 1 Peter 2 Verses 4 through 6, as you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, and he quotes the Old Testament, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the Bible is clear, and Jesus is saying this in verse 24. When your foundation is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ that we just sang about a moment ago, you have a foundation that stands. Now, are these floods and rains and winds a metaphor for the trouble of trials? If so, Jesus is saying that if your foundation is a relationship with him, you will stand in those trials. Are the floods and rains and winds of this illustration more of an eschatological reference to the coming judgment when all will face a different kind of trial of whether or not their foundation stands in the presence of God? If that's what Jesus means, he is saying, once again, that if your foundation is your relationship with him, you will stand. So whatever those floods and rains and winds are, and you can find some differing views on what exactly they are in the metaphor, whatever form they take, if you have a foundation with a cornerstone named Jesus, you will stand. But do you notice what Jesus is saying in verse 24? He doesn't just say everyone who hears these words will be like a wise man. He's not just saying those who hear him now have this firm foundation. He's saying everyone who hears and does them. You see that? Hears these words of mine and does them. See, there is a big difference between listening or hearing and doing something with what you hear, isn't there? Anyone who's in this room who has ever been a parent knows what that's about. Sometimes your children hear their parents, but then don't do what they've said. Not my children, of course. <laughs> that's the opposite of what Jesus is talking about. Hearing something, but then not doing it. And in fact, that reminds us of what James says in his letter in chapter 1 on the screens in front of you. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. 
He's talking about people who hear him, but then do something with what they've heard. And he's saying that if you hear, but don't do, like James would put it, you're deceiving yourself. If you hear Jesus, but don't do something with what you've heard from him, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, you're a fool. It's not a doing here that Jesus is talking about. That's this sort of maintaining the status quo. It's talking about this intentional pursuit of acting on what you've heard. When Jesus says, everyone who hears my words, or these words of mine, and then does them, what he's talking about when he says these words of mine is everything that he has said in the sermon. Of course, you could extrapolate that out to everything he ever said in terms of applying it to us now. And so what we ought to do when we read verse 24 and following is just go back to the beginning and read it all over again and see what these words of mine he's talking about. But for now, just ask yourself this, looking at Matthew 7, 24. Would Jesus look at you and categorize your response to his words as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount as doing them, hearing them, and then intentionally pursuing doing them? Or perhaps would Jesus put you in the category of the next two verses, 26 through 27, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand? Hearing them, but not putting any of it into practice. God forbid that would be the case because that's the second fact of what Jesus is stating here, that hearing Jesus without action is foolish. Talked about this with the GC Squared group this morning, filling in for Johnny and Alyssa because they're sick. Jesus says a lot of really hard and confrontational things, and this is one of them. If you don't do everything I say, you are a fool. He says that if you don't put into practice what he's taught in this sermon, you're as foolish as someone who builds a house on sand. Remember, Jesus is giving this simple choice. Listen and ignore like a fool or hear and act in wisdom. And to not act is to ignore. And so the opposite of the first fact is true, too, that the ones who do not act according to his words, who do ignore him, are fools because... If you don't have Jesus as your foundation, you're asking for trouble when the floods and rains and winds come, whatever they might be, whether trials of this life or that final day of judgment. Just like if you build your house on sand, you're asking for trouble when floods and rains and winds come. And listen, friends, I know, sure, following Jesus is hard. He said just a few verses earlier that the gate is narrow and the way is narrow. He said that there will be persecution and there will be suffering. But he also said that going the wide way through the wide gate leads to eternal hardship and ultimately eternal death and destruction. And so Jesus has been saying, and we say again, that going his way will be better when you have him with you. 
you build your foundation on the pursuit of self, it will crumble like sand. You build your foundation on the exaltation of Jesus and by extension, the denial of self, and your foundation will stand. John Calvin, the great reformer, said this about this passage, such is the vanity of the human mind that all build upon the sand who do not dig so deeply as to deny themselves. D.A. Carson, a more modern commentator, said this, storms reveal the quality of the work of the two kinds of builders. Those who pretend to have faith, who have a merely intellectual commitment, or who enjoy Jesus in small doses are foolish builders. And when the storms of life come, their structure fools no one above all God. Have you noticed, by the way, that Jesus is still, and I know it's partially because we're going through this slowly, but here we are again talking about Jesus, talking about doing, talking about action, talking about fruit, talking about works. If you hear Jesus' words and then just keep going with the status quo without deliberately, intentionally pursuing change, Jesus says you're a fool. And, and of course, we know and believe that his is not a gospel of works. We talked about that at length in the last passage. But listen, my friends, Jesus' gospel applied to a life does result in works. And so if you're not actively doing what Jesus has said and pursuing doing it more, have you even embraced the true gospel at all? And so Jesus is saying the same thing two different ways in this passage. Everyone who does these words is this way. Everyone who does not do these words is this way. So I'm just going to ask the same question that I asked a moment ago, just in a different way. Could your response to Jesus' words as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount be categorized by Jesus as by not doing them? Hearing but not doing? Hearing but not putting it into practice? Just take a moment, friends. Beware ignoring Jesus. Beware going through your life as if he is part of your life, but not at its center. Beware regarding Jesus as someone you revere and admire and even aspire to follow, but never engage with the realities of who he is and what he has taught, and therefore becoming totally, radically, and eternally devoted to him. Jesus is not to be trifled with, my friends. He means business. He is God incarnate. He is the King of kings. He is the prophesied, foretold, holy one of God who comes to forgive those who come to him in faith and follow him and to judge those who don't. So do not regard him lightly. He says that going any other way than his way leads to destruction. He says that following the false teaching instead of the truth leads to being cast into the fire. He says that there will be many who call him Lord, but actually don't live like he's their Lord. He says that everyone who does not do what he says, even though they've heard it, are fools, destined for the same kind of destruction that comes to a house built on sand in a storm. And so here's what I'd like to do. I would like to go back and listen to all of what Jesus said in the sermon. 
It's going to take about 13 or 14 minutes. I'm going to read it. I think it's a good way to finish up the Sermon on the Mount, and then we'll come back to the final two narrative verses at the end. So let it wash over you as having studied it closely for several months now. Listen to it, perhaps like you haven't heard it before, and listen to it in light of the fact that Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine. Read along with me in your Bibles, or close your eyes and listen, whatever will help you. And think about what Jesus is saying, and what it means as part of a whole, as a message this sermon is about kingdom residency, and about the need for righteousness that only he can provide. So let's read the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew 5, verse 2. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come to abol- I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. 
It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So if God, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So friends, there is a third fact in this passage, and it is in the final two verses. Let's read them now, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So the third fact is that responding to Jesus is unavoidable. These final verses are just this commentary on the greatest sermon of all time. These are actually the first words in Matthew uh, that are not Jesus's since Matthew 5, verse 3. Matthew's back to narrating again. And what he says is startling, that the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Imagine being there. Imagine drinking from the proverbial fire hose of these last three chapters of Jesus' teaching live and in person for the first time. There's no New Testament. Matthew's gospel hasn't been circulating. It's just Jesus there audibly saying everything that we just read from chapters 5 through 7, and you're hearing it. I think if you were in the crowd and if you were a Jew... You were understanding what he was saying from the standpoint of the Jews. You would have been astonished like they were. And it's astonishing enough to us today. We who have been privileged to sit down and read it slowly. We who have multiple translations and versions on our shelves. Hearing it preached expositionally. Discussing it as we have been doing in our fellowship groups. Talking about it with one another on off-the-cuff conversations. Imagine what it was like for them at that moment. What might they have been saying? Perhaps one would whisper to one of them, is he saying what I think he's saying? As they heard him say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Maybe another one says, he is saying that those persecuted for his namesake will be blessed. It sounds a lot like he's claiming equality with God because the Old Testament prophets were promised blessing for suffering in God's name. Or what do you think they thought when he said, I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. 
Maybe some at that moment were thinking, I thought we were listening to a sermon on ethics. Sounds like he's claiming to be the Messiah. Sounds like he's claiming to have authority to banish people from the kingdom of God. And of course, all those hypothetical thoughts would have been right. Matthew's goal in writing this was to show Jesus for who he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, the servant, the promised one of God sent to bring salvation to his people. Jesus is not just another prophet who said, thus says the Lord. No, he speaks in first person and he says, I say to you. He says that he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. He calls God his father as if he is his son. He claims to be the Messiah. He's not just preaching a sermon on ethics. And so what we have in the Sermon on the Mount is not just a list of ethics for us to follow as if these are the new Ten Commandments. Though, of course, the ethics in the sermon should be followed. It's so much more. It's a call to radical and total submission and surrender to Jesus as Lord and King. He himself has said it. He himself has referred to all who do not obey him as totally rebellious, hypocritical, selfish fools who are damned forever if they do not repent. And so no wonder... When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. A 19th century Welsh pastor and author said this, the Sermon on the Mount compels us in the first place to ask who he is who utters these words. Who indeed? Who is this man who claims to be God, who teaches like one with authority, verse 29. Teaching unlike the scribes who merely repeated the traditions and interpretations that had come before them. Jesus arrives on the scene and says, I'm the interpreter of the law. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus' words in this sermon were radical. They were countercultural. They were confrontational. They were hard. And so how could anyone respond with anything other than astonishment? Jesus claims to be the standard of human wisdom and folly. That's staggering. It's possible, in fact, that to you, the fact that he has said all of what he has said and then said that you have to listen to him and do it or be a fool might seem to you to be egocentric. Now, I don't think that's the case, but perhaps you do. And so then you might also wonder why, for thousands of years ever since Jesus said these things, millions of people from all over the entire planet Earth have been believing in, embracing, and following him. Maybe it's because they find his words so applicable to their lives. Maybe it's that he apparently has his finger on the heart of every man and their greatest needs and desires. Maybe it's amazement that his words that may seem egocentric simultaneously coincide with his actions 
that appear to be and were indeed the actions of the humblest man of all time. Whatever it is, though, my friends, millions and millions of people for thousands of years have been responding to Jesus, many by humbly following him and radically devoting their lives to his service, while many have also foolishly rejected him or foolishly heard and done nothing. And so the question before us today is, how do you respond to Jesus and his words? How have you responded and how will you respond? Because once again, Jesus gives a simple choice in this text. Listen and ignore like a fool or hear and act like one who is wise. And to not act, Jesus says, is to ignore. If you're here today and you are ignoring him, you may not be his at all. Because if you really have met Jesus, my friends, this is so important. If you really have met Jesus, you will not be able to help being totally obsessed with him. Be totally filled with love for him with all of your heart. And if you really do love him, you wouldn't dream of ignoring him. And of course, any relationship can have a time of difficulty and coldness and strain where then things need to be forgiven or rekindled. I'm not saying that every Christian is just at 100% on fire every second of their lives until the second coming. But if you're never aflame with passion for Jesus, if you're not characterized by being moved by his words, if no one would look at your life and see someone who is totally sold out for him, radically devoted to him, no matter what it costs, intentionally pursuing growth in him, then what foundation does it look like you have built on? Oh, my friend, if you never have, please respond to Jesus in faith that will lead to action. Look to him as the true authority, as the fulfillment of God's law, and follow him. Trust in him. Embrace him by faith. Submit to him as king. Obey him as your Lord, and you will be wise. And you will enjoy a relationship with him. You will enjoy it now, and you will enjoy it forever. You'll never be the same. But maybe you're here and you have responded to Jesus with faith and repentance. And now you are his forever. Praise God. I would ask then, how are you responding to him every day? Are you intentionally ordering your life, like literally your calendar and your future plans, so that you can pursue doing his words? Are you just as passionate about your love for him and your devotion to him as you were when you first met him? Or would you be like the Ephesians that Jesus spoke to in Revelation when he said they had lost their love that they had at first? Again, of course, you can't literally be on fire for Jesus perfectly every moment of every day. I'm not saying that. Of course, Christians can fall into ignoring his teaching for a season due to sin. We are in a war with the flesh daily. And so we need to put off the old self and put on the new self daily. We need to reckon ourselves, as Paul says, dead to sin and alive to God daily. Peter would say we need to make every effort 
to grow in our good works. And so, friends, just because you responded to Jesus one day, years ago, with faith and repentance, like Katie told us about this morning, doesn't mean you don't need to keep responding to him every single day. My Christian friend, please hear this closely. You need God's help to deliberately decide to follow him every day. So pray for that help. You need his grace to obey his words every day. You need the Holy Spirit of God to work in your heart to help you to daily set aside your devotion to selfish things and worldly things every day so that you can rather be focused on intentionally forsaking the status quo of maintenance and instead pursuing him and the mission that he has given you to be and make disciples every day. You see, my friends, responding to Jesus is unavoidable. Everyone who hears his words and responds, everyone who hears his words responds to him either by ignoring him or by acting on what he has said. And so, in a way, what we've done together is something very scary and very dangerous because we have read the Bible and we have heard his words and you have listened to sermons on it and you have gathered with the church to talk about it and to worship him. That's a terribly risky and scary thing to do according to what Jesus is saying because once you have heard his words, you are accountable for how you will respond either as a wise person or as a fool. Fools finding themselves wrecked and ruined in this life and for all eternity, but the wise finding themselves in the joyous privilege of a relationship with the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, forever. Let's pray to him now. Lord, your word does call us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Not just hearers like those who look at themselves in a mirror and see something that needs to be fixed and then not do anything about it. Deceiving ourselves like fools into thinking we are good as is when we're not. So may we hear your words and may we respond. May there be no one in this room who ignores you or just passively maintains the status quo. May we all be pursuing you intentionally every day for our whole lives, because we, like the original crowd gathered around him, hear your sayings and are astonished at your teaching. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for these words. We ask for your help to grow, to respond, to follow you all the days of our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Let's take a few minutes and pray quietly in our own hearts in response to these words.